Hey there, and welcome to the United Church Podcast. We are a new church here in Seattle committed to an ethic of love. We are striving to be a people united, united with Jesus, each other, ourselves, and the world around us. We hope you enjoyed this week's homily. This coming year, January, um, I will turn 54 years old. And actually, he would have been turning... 91 years old. We share the same birthday, January 15th. And at Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia, on April 9th, 1968, the following portion of a sermon delivered in February of earlier that year, this was what was played for the mourners at this funeral to hear. Have a listen to this. King Jr. tried to give his life serving others. I'd like for somebody to say that day that Martin Luther King Jr. tried to love somebody. I want you to say that day that I tried to be right on the wall question. I want you to be able to say that day that I did try to feed the hungry. I want you to be able to say that day that I did try in my life to clothe those who were naked. I want you to say on that day that I did try in my life to visit those who were in prison. I want you to say that I tried to love and serve humanity. Yes, if you want to say that I was a drum major, say that I was a drum major for justice. Say that I was a drum major for peace. I was a drum major for righteousness. And all of the other shallow things will not matter. I won't have any money to leave behind. I won't have the fine and luxurious things of life to leave behind. But I just want to leave a committed life behind. And that's all I want to say. If I can help somebody. And so what can we learn from the life of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.? Something that will challenge us to be more like Jesus. Luke writes in chapter 4 of his gospel, he says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed. Everything in the life of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. indicates that this was his life's trajectory. And that his belief that this was to be the life mission of everyone. Everyone who claimed to be a Christ follower. John Ortberg wrote a really great little book. It's a little tiny little book. It's called Overcoming Your Shadow Mission. And this is what he says in the book. He says, you and I were created to have a mission in life. We were made to make a difference. But if we do not pursue the mission for which God designed and gifted us, we will find a substitute. We cannot live in the absence of purpose. Without authentic mission, we will be tempted to drift on autopilot, to let our lives center around something that is unworthy, something selfish. And even so, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, he writes this, our citizenship is in heaven, 
And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he writes in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. But don't get the idea that we're just passing through, that we get to be, I don't care, sojourners on this, on this journey. The challenge to all of us is to live lives that make a difference and they have an impact now. I'm going to confess to you, there's probably one thing about the life of Dr. King that I love that comes out of his legacy more than anything else. Dr. King's teachings so closely aligned with the teachings of Jesus, particularly as it relates to the centrality of community. Dr. King taught and lived by the axiom, the axiom, no one gets there alone. We need each other. Which is why, again, the Apostle Paul writes in the third chapter of Colossians, beginning in verse 12, he says this, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. And above all of these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. See, the life and the teachings of Dr. King, they give testimony to the power of community and insistence on being my brother's keeper. Dr. King called it, he called it the beloved community. Now, maybe some of y'all don't take notes, that's fine. But sometimes I like to take notes so I can make sure the speaker knows what he's talking about. But just in case you do, I'm going to change it up a little bit. Usually, you know, you kind of go through a, an order and you go one, two, three. We're not going to do that. We're going to start backwards. We're going to start with the fifth thing that I think is the most important for us to, to kind of take away from this. We're going to back, back it up a little bit, okay? Dr. King took Jesus at his word by living a difference-making and impacting life. And so in this time this morning, I'm going to single out these five lifelong distinctives from the life of Dr. King that I truly believe will help you, they'll help me to look more like Jesus. Here, here's where we're, I think we can kind of, as we kind of work our way down, we can start by always being always ready to adjust our strategy. Are you always ready to, to kind of adjust your strategy? And you have to realize that sometimes the thing that first looks like a failure is a success. Do you guys know Malcolm X? Malcolm X was not impressed with the 1963 march on Washington, what we just saw Dr. King speaking at. He referred to the event as the farce on Washington. There were some civil rights leaders who were concerned that the event might turn violent, therefore setting back the effort to advance civil rights with the current administration. There are other civil rights groups like the student nonviolent Coordinating Committee, or SNCC, and the Core for Racial Equality, Core, they felt as though the tone of the march needed to be even more negative 
toward the Kennedy administration. As a matter of fact, one speaker had his own speech modified so as not to be so negative toward the White House. Did you guys know any of this? In the end, the organizers wound up agreeing with a presidential request, straight from the president, that the tone of the event be less forceful than they had originally planned. And somehow this effort to show a unified front of splintering manifested itself in ways too numerous to count. And yet, in the midst of all of that, Dr. King's words on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial galvanized the nation that day. And it still impacts us over half a century later. There's also an account regarding the I Have a Dream speech where Dr. King is standing at the front getting ready to make his remarks. And from behind him, he hears Mahalia Jackson, who's a gospel singer, who says, tell him about the dream, Martin. Tell him about the dream. Dr. King was not going to give the I Have a Dream speech that day. But he had to change his strategy. I love Jesus' ability to take what looks like a colossal failure in our eyes and turn it into something else. I mean, the high priest, along with the religious scholars and leaders, were right there mixing it up with the rest of them, having a great time poking fun of him. He saved others, but he can't save himself. King of Israel, is he? Let him come down from that cross. We'll all come believers in. He was so sure of God. Well, let him rescue his son now if he wants him. He did claim to be God's son, didn't he? Then we read a few chapters later this. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And suddenly a strong earthquake struck. And the angel of the Lord came down from heaven. He rolled away the stone and sat on it. The angel looked as bright as lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards shook from fear and fell down as though they were dead. The angel said to the women, don't be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus who was nailed to a cross. He isn't here. God has raised him to life just as Jesus said he would. So sometimes, sometimes you have to go backwards to go forwards. There was a well-known preacher. There's a, there's a guy who was kind of a preacher to preachers. He was a pastor to pastors. His name was H.B. London. And he said this about Dr. King. He said, Dr. King called the nation to look deep within ourselves and we did. We were troubled with what was revealed. We could stand to take that kind of look again, couldn't we? But we also learn from Dr. King's legacy. This is a really simple one. Here's something else we learn from Dr. King's legacy and life. That we end up looking more like Jesus when we get like really fired up. When we get really, we get really stoked. When we do something now, we don't wait, we do it now, we act now. Again, from John Ortberg, we are tempted to think that we are treading water right now, waiting for some other time, some other important position. You don't get to choose your time. Your time chooses you. You are where and who you are for a reason. In their book called The Ascent of a Leader, Bill Thrall, Bruce McNeil, 
and Ken McElrath write this. They said, each of us must decide whether we will walk in the light of creative altruism or in the darkness of destructive selfishness. I don't know how many of you are familiar with Popeye. You guys know Popeye? You've heard of Popeye, right? Popeye the sailor man. But then Popeye also had a special girl named Olive Oil, right? Yeah, she was a babe. (laughs) Now, the thing about Popeye the sailor man was that his demeanor it was pretty calm and reserved. I was always smiling, always laughing, right? But if something happened, especially something that would potentially harm olive oil, he would explode, right? He would shout. Do you know what he would say? Do you remember his one line? That's all I can stand. I can't stand no more. And then he would pop open a can of spinach, <laughs> Right? pop open a can of spinach, and he'd eat it, and he'd become this unstoppable force for good each and every time, saving olive oil's life. Get fired up. (laughs) So for the life of Dr. King, there's a few things that we already talked about here. Number five, you got to be ready to adjust your strategy. You got to be ready to, to change what you think you're going to do. Number four, you got to get fired up. You got to get excited. You got you to act now. Don't wait. Also, from the, doc, from the life of Dr. King, we learn that we look more like Jesus when we recognize that our ideals will get us hurt. Our ideals will get us hurt. Now, aggression. Solves very little. Jesus said this. He said, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. The Apostle Paul writes about this in Romans. He says, love must be honest and true. Hate what is evil. Hold on to what is good. Romans 12, 7 says, don't pay back evil with evil. Be careful to do what everyone thinks is right. And in Romans 12, 21, Paul says, don't let evil overcome you. Overcome evil by doing good. John Stott is kind of an old school scholar, brilliant man. He wrote a book called The Cross of Christ. He wrote this in the book. He said, the tragedy of repaying evil for evil is that we thereby add evil to evil and so increase the world's tally for evil. It causes what Martin Luther King said, the chain reaction of evil. As hate multiplies hate and violence multiplies violence in a descending spiral of destruction, the glory of loving and serving our enemies, however is it that we thereby decrease the amount of evil in the world? The supreme example of this is the cross. The cross is the only alchemy which turns evil into good. Recognize your ideals are going to get you hurt. Dr. King, who in 1956 led the 13-month 
bus boycott against segregation in Montgomery. After Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat to a white passenger, he, Dr. King admitted to merging the ideas of Gandhi with the teachings from the life of Jesus. He recalled this. He said, my mind, consciously or unconsciously, was driven back to the Sermon on the Mount and the Gandhian message of nonviolent resistance. The principle became the guiding light for our movement. Christ furnished the spirit and motivation while Gandhi furnished the methodology. So aggression solves little, but love conquers all. Think about it. Think about Martin Luther King Jr. and the whole civil rights battle. Loving one's neighbor, turning the other cheek, secret power that can't be resisted because somehow it's backed up by the power of God. It's real, and our enemies can sense this. See, that's radical Christianity. It's real Christianity, and God honors it. It's not merely a, a nice idea. It's at the heart of who God is. It has real power, world-changing power, but very few people ever have the guts to practice it, and so they never find out. There's a book called Everything You Always Wanted to Know by God. It was written by a guy named Eric Metaxas. And he quotes Dr. King. Dr. King says, love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy to a friend. We never get rid of an enemy by meeting hate with hate. We get rid of an enemy by getting rid of enmity. By its very nature, hate destroys and tears down. By its very nature, love creates and builds up. Love transformed with redemptive power. Now, I got to tell you, over the last few weeks, I have struggled with that. Because I watched a murderer be hugged and comforted in a courtroom while very few people had anything to say about all the events that led up to her being a murderer to her being comforted in the courtroom. But I'll tell you this, it is a tension. I can live with the tension. If that's what it means to be like Jesus, I can live with that tension. I might not like it, but I can live with it. Here's a second lesson that Dr. King models for us that helps us look more like Jesus. We look more like Jesus when we can be our true selves. We have to start by knowing ourselves. Dr. King is what's called an undefended leader. This comes from a book by Simon Walker called Leading Out of Who You Are. He's an undefended leader. And they're those people whose life and philosophy have involved deliberate acts of weakness and, courage, and courageous self-sacrifice. People like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Dr. King himself, Desmond Tutu, Mother Teresa. You know what? I think a lot of people think Dr. King just woke up one day and thought, I'll become this incredible leader in the struggle for civil rights in our nation. But that's not what happened at all. Dr. King had to wrestle with what God was calling him to do and to be he was drafted as the newest leader. Actually, some would say he was punked into being the newest leader. In the community organization, this young preacher in Montgomery, Alabama, 
It said that he wrestled with what he was being called to do. David Garrow writes in a book called Bearing the Cross that one night over a cup of coffee, Dr. King considered not being the leader of this new civil rights thing. And Dr. King sat at the table thinking about my little girl. The fact that she could be taken away from me at any minute. He says, I got to the point that I couldn't take it anymore. I was weak. And I discovered then that religion had to become real to me. And I had to know God for myself. And I bowed over that cup of coffee. I will never forget it. I prayed a prayer and I prayed out loud that night. I said, Lord, I am down here trying to do what's right. I think I am right. I think the cause that we represent is right. But Lord, I must confess that I'm weak now. I'm faltering. I'm losing my courage. And it seemed at that moment that I could hear an inner voice saying to me, Martin Luther, stand up for righteousness. Stand up for justice. Stand up for truth. And I will be with you until the end of the world. I hear the voice of Jesus saying, fight on. He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. No, never alone. No, never alone. He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. Jesus gives us the same powerful example of being true to himself. Over and over again. In Matthew 3, when Jesus submitted to being baptized by John the Baptist. In Matthew 4, Jesus willingly allowed himself to be tempted by Satan. In Mark 3, when his family showed up to drag him home because they thought he was nuts, he said, no, I'm good. And Mark 8, when Jesus calls out Satan for trying to talk him out of the cross, get behind me, Satan. In Luke 15, when Jesus is mocked by religious leaders for eating with sinners. Jesus was comfortable in his skin. He was fully aware that he must be him true, his true self. So, number five. Number five. Number five is always be ready to adjust your strategy. Be nimble. Number four, get fired up. Do it now. Don't wait. Number three, recognize that your ideals will get you hurt. Number two, be your true self. And I think the number one thing that we can learn from Dr. King is that we look more like Jesus when we exhibit steadfast and authentic faith. And that may mean sacrifice. The story of our family ending up in Seattle is kind of crazy. It's a little nuts. I knew that remaining in Illinois was not an option I knew that God had stirred a deep discontentment within me and the ministry I'd been a part of for over a decade. And even in the face of having no clear path. Now, there's a lot of things that can happen, you know, when you're in ministry. But you start telling people that you don't think you should be someplace and they start thinking you don't want to be there and they start thinking, well, maybe you need to leave and you're thinking, yeah, but I don't have any place to go. And they're like, so? <laughs> That's not our fault. You said you didn't want to be here. 
And it's especially different when you're a black man saying that to a bunch of white people. Um, it just is. But I knew that my time and that ministry was done. When I said that to my lead pastor, I appreciate his honesty. He said, thanks for letting us know that, you know. But if we need to move on, we will. You may need to make some sacrifices if you're going to have that kind of faith. Actually, well, it wasn't in my case. You may need to make an ultimate sacrifice. Dr. King said this, courage and cowardice are antithetical. Courage is an inner resolution to go forward in spite of obstacles and frightening situations. Cowardice is submissive surrender to circumstances. Courage breeds creative self-affirmation. Cowardice produces destructive self-abnegation. Courage faces fear and thereby masters it. Cowardice rep represses fear and is thereby mastered by it. Courageous men never lose the zest for living, even though their life situation is zestless. Cowardly men, overwhelmed by the uncertainties of life, lose the will to live. We must constantly build dikes of courage to hold back the flood of fear. I like that. We must constantly build dikes of courage to hold back the floods of fear. His faith, Dr. King's faith, is what led him to the understanding that only community, the beloved community, that was the only thing that would last forever. On April 3rd, 1968, the night before he was assassinated, Dr. King spoke in Memphis, Tennessee. He spoke of the promised land. He said this, it's all right to talk about long white robes over yonder and all its symbolism, but ultimately, people want some suits and dresses and shoes. They want to wear those down here. It's all right to talk about streets flowing with milk and honey, but God has commanded us to be concerned about the slums down here and his children who can't eat three square meals a day. It's all right to talk about the New Jerusalem, but one day, God's preacher must talk about the new New York and the new Atlanta and the new Philadelphia and the new Los Angeles and the new Memphis, Tennessee. This is what we have to do. And even though he knew the possibility existed that he might not see this beloved community come into existence, Dr. King knew that it would eventually come. And Dr. King closed that sermon with these familiar words to us. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it doesn't really matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop. And I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to have a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain, and I've looked over. And I've seen the promised land. 
and I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And so I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. I want to end this sermon by discussing something very real and very distressing from the life of Dr. King. In his book, Soul Survivor, Philip Yancey speaks very poignantly about Dr. King's humanity. Because even his closest friends and advisors revealed that Dr. King carried on extramarital affairs. Dr. King was accused of plagiarism. Sections of his writings and speeches lifted without credit from other sources. That's kind of a weird way to wrap up a sermon about being a drum major for justice, isn't it? But Yancey continues and he says this. Dr. King's moral weaknesses provide a convenient excuse for anyone who wants to avoid his message. And because of those weaknesses, some Christians discount the genuineness of his faith. These Christians might want to review the list of outstanding people of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, a list which includes such moral deviants as Noah, Abraham, Jacob, Rahab, Samson, and David. Philip Yancey goes on, he says, I certainly once dismissed him, and now I can hardly read a page from Dr. King's life or a paragraph from his speeches without sensing, sensing the centrality of his Christian convictions. So, so then what's the point? Well, drum majors for justice will also find it difficult to be perfect. But that is the greatest thing about Jesus, I think, because Jesus is perfect, and he's calling us to make some decisions today. He's calling us to think about, will you do this in my name? Will you go against the tide? Will you proclaim freedom for the prisoner? Will you, too, be a drum major for justice? I want to close with a prayer attributed to Dr. King. Dr. King wrote, we thank you, God, for the spiritual nature of man. We are in nature, but we live above nature. Help us to never let anyone or any condition pull us so low as to cause us to hate. Give us strength to love our enemies and to do good to those who despitefully use us and persecute us. We thank you for your church founded on your word that challenges us to do more than sing and pray, but go out and work as though the very answer to our prayers depended on us and not upon you. Then finally, help us to realize that man was created to shine like the stars and to live on through all eternity. Keep us, we pray, in perfect peace. Help us to walk together, pray together, sing together, and live together 
until that day when all of God's children, black, white, red, and yellow, will rejoice in one common band of humanity. In the kingdom of our Lord and of our God, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's homily. If you're in Seattle, we'd love for you to join us on Sundays at noon at 1316 Third Avenue West in Queen Anne. If you'd like to support our efforts, please visit unitedchurch.gives to partner with us financially. Be in peace and God bless.